We come now, brethren, to the preaching of God's word, and I invite you to open your Bibles this morning to the book of Hebrews and the ninth chapter. The book of Hebrews and the ninth chapter. And I'll be reading and then preaching this morning on verses 1 through 10 of Hebrews chapter 9. As we continue our verse-by-verse series through the book of Hebrews. And again, our focus will be Hebrews chapter 9, verses 1 through 10. Here the writer states, Now even the first covenant had regulations for worship and an earthly place of holiness, for a tent was prepared, the first section in which were the lampstand and the table and the bread of the presence. It is called the holy place. Behind the second curtain was a second section called the most holy place, having the golden altar of incense and the Ark of the Covenant covered on all sides with gold, in which was a golden urn holding the manna, and Aaron's staff that budded, and the tablets of the covenant. Above it were the cherubim of glory overshadowing the mercy seat. Of these things we cannot now speak in detail. These preparations having thus been made, the priests go regularly into the first section performing their ritual duties, but into the section, the second section, only the high priest goes, and he but once a year, and not without taking blood which he offers for himself and for the unintentional sins of the people. By this, the Holy Spirit indicates that the way into the holy places is not yet opened as long as the first section is still standing, which is symbolic for the present age. According to this arrangement, gifts and sacrifices are offered that cannot perfect the conscience of the worshiper, but deal only with food and drink and various washings, regulations for the body imposed until the time of reformation. Let's pray. Our God and Father, we thank you for your mercy and grace. We thank you for the privilege we have today to hear your word preached and explained, and we would ask now for the work of the Holy Spirit, that he would be our teacher and guide, that he would show us the meaning of these passages and apply them to our hearts and minds in such a way that our thinking is changed and transformed and our conduct is brought into conformance to your holy word. So please now we pray that the Holy Spirit would move as only he can, for we ask these things in Jesus' blessed name. Amen. Brethren, most recently in our series through this epistle to the Hebrews, we have been examining and carefully reflecting upon the differences between the Old Covenant and the New Covenant. And we have noted not only that the Old Covenant was different from the New Covenant in terms of its mediator. In fact, the mediator of the Old Covenant was Moses, the mediator of the new covenant is the Lord Jesus, but also it's different with respect to the specific benefits of each covenant and its 
covenant mediator and what he brought to the people of God. For under the old covenant, the people of God were confronted with a temporary and imperfect covenant. For it was a covenant that was intended, you'll recall, to lead God's people by the hand. And yet it was also a covenant that could be broken by the people. And as a result of their repeated disobedience to it, the people of God were often judged for their sins. They were sometimes left wondering whether God cared for them at all. In fact, we read previously of these consequences for their disobedience back in our consideration of Hebrews chapter 8 and verse 9. And yet, under the new covenant, God assured his people and God assures us today that his covenant dealings with them and with us would be different. For no longer would we be led by the hand as wayward or disobedient children, but rather we would be led as we are now being led as new covenant saints from the heart and from the mind by the ministry of the Holy Spirit. For now the law of God has been written on our hearts and on our minds, Hebrews 8 and verse 10. And now we have the assurance that our sins and our iniquities are remembered no more. For under the new covenant, our knowledge of God and our possession of the Spirit are marks that we are not merely the servants of God, but we are the sons of God who declare with absolute confidence the glory of God. We can declare this morning God is our God, and we can declare this morning that I am his covenant son. For once again, God's dealings with his people under the old covenant differed from his dealings with them under the new covenant in terms of what God had promised them by way of his leading and by way of his blessings. And yet, these were not the only ways that life under the old covenant differed from what you and I see under the new covenant. For we see now, here in Hebrews chapter 9, that the old covenant also differed from the new covenant in terms of what God required of the people in worship what God required of the people in worship. And so worship now is the focus of this particular text. And it focuses on the kind of spiritual worship that the high priest was to offer in observance of that worship that God had commanded. In fact, if we take a moment to carefully analyze this entire chapter, in fact, let me just look at the whole chapter as a whole. We see that the the writer progressively unfolds three themes in particular. First, here in verses 1 through 10, which is our text this morning, the writer examines the worship and ministry of God's earthly tent. The worship and ministry of God's earthly tent, or the tabernacle. That worship which was prescribed by God in the Old Covenant. Then in verses 11 through 13, which we'll examine, Lord willing, next week, 
he examines the worship and ministry in God's greater and more perfect tent, which is not made with hands, which is in heaven, and the spiritual ministry that Jesus Christ performs there as he appears on our behalf. Again, that's for next Sunday, Lord willing. Then in verses 15 through 28, which I plan to do with Lord, deal with Lord willing uh, beyond that, the writer examines when the new covenant took effect and when the eternal state will begin. So this entire ninth chapter consists of a contrast between the worship and ministry under the old covenant and worship and ministry under the new covenant. And as we've seen throughout the book of Hebrews, Jesus Christ and his work as our mediator is at the very center of it all. So having provided you with a brief outline of Hebrews chapter 9 and the themes that will be addressed, let's consider in verses 1 through 10 the worship that God had commanded under the old covenant and more specifically the ministry he commanded within his earthly tent or the tabernacle. For this is clearly what the writer is calling our attention to here in verse 1 of Hebrews chapter 9. Notice the language here, for he writes, Now even the first covenant had regulations for worship and an earthly place of holiness. And of course this is important for us to note because in focusing so much upon the inadequacies of the old covenant as we've been doing recently, we might be easily tempted to think that there was very little that was truly spiritual or very little that was truly profitable for men's souls under the old covenant. And if we're thinking that way, if we're assuming that, then we are wrong. That was not the case. For even under the old covenant, the first covenant that God made with the house of Israel and the house of Judah, there was a recognition that God was to be worshipped, that God was to be feared, and God was to be worshipped in a particular way or manner. And provision was made for an earthly place of holiness or a place where holiness would be present upon the earth. So God did dwell among his people. There was a recognition and understanding of that. That's its spiritual nature. There was never in God's intention that man should be without revelation for worship. Nor was it God's intention that man decide for himself how he should worship. And this is a really significant point that I want to stress this morning. God has never left it up to his people to create for themselves whatever form of worship they want. So the idea that we can simply gather here together and do whatever we feel like doing, whatever comes to mind, whatever we want to present, whatever show we want to display, that very idea is foreign to the message of scripture. God always specifies what he requires in worship, always. And even from the beginning of the Old Covenant, God gave instructions and regulations for true worship. And as a part of those instructions, he ordered Israel 
to prepare an earthly place for worship. An earthly place for worship. And did Israel understand these instructions and obey them? Yes, Israel did. Because we're told next here in the beginning of verse 2 that a tent, or we could also translate this a, a tabernacle, was then prepared. And of course the writer does not go into great detail here, but you'll recall no doubt from the narrative back in Exodus 25, 26, and 27 that Moses gave the children of Israel very specific instructions on how to build the tabernacle and its contents. In fact, when you're doing your Bible reading through the Bible every year and you get to this section in Exodus, you're reading these three chapters and all these long instructions and you're wondering, wow, how could they have ever followed all these precise instructions? There were very specific instructions given about worship. It was not left up to the people's own creativity to design and construct this tent or this tabernacle for worship. It was built for the specific purpose that God had given with the specific blueprints or plans that God gave them that God himself might dwell in their midst according to Exodus chapter 25 and verse 8. It was intended to be God's own sanctuary. And listen, if it's going to be God's own sanctuary, then God has every right to specify what that sanctuary should look like. Amen? And if worship is for God, and God alone and not for us, in terms of who receives it, then God has the right even today to specify exactly what worship should look like. And so from the very beginning of the Old Covenant, God announced his intention to dwell and to tabernacle among his people. And yet because the purpose of the Old Covenant was to reveal man's sinfulness and the distance that still existed between God and man, there were many things that were designed and included as a part of the earthly tent or tabernacle that were not entirely clear to the people who built it, but nevertheless, they communicated very real spiritual realities. In fact, let us notice here beginning or continuing in verse 2 of this chapter, that the writer to the Hebrews begins to describe for us how the tabernacle was laid out or how it was sectioned off in order to communicate and emphasize a number of spiritual truths to the people. So even the way it was laid out was intended to communicate something. It was not done by happenstance. It was done very deliberately by God to communicate even through its architecture, even through its layout. For he declares here, the writer of Hebrews declares here in verse 2, the first section in which were the lampstand and the table and the bread of presence, this is called the holy place. And so the first thing the writer does here is describe for us the, the holy place. And why does he mention the holy place and its furnishings. Why does he mention it? Well, no doubt he does so for, for two reasons. First, he mentions the holy place because 
it was the first place immediately within the tabernacle, and it communicated the holy nature of the ministry that was conducted there. So as soon as you entered, you noticed that it was holy in nature and that it was communicating God's holiness to you. Then secondly, the writer mentions each of the furnishings because not only did they serve a specific function in Old Covenant worship, but because they all in some profound sense pointed directly to the coming work of Jesus Christ. All of it pointed directly to the coming work of Jesus Christ. Now, I don't have a lot of time this morning to lay out for you. I'm not going to bring out charts and pictures and things of that nature to show you how things pointed to the Lord Jesus Christ. But trust me in saying that Jesus Christ is the fulfillment. He is the one who's being foreshadowed by all of these things. For example, John Gill, in his well-known commentary, suggests that symbolically we see, for example, in the presence of the lampstand, a foreshadowing of Jesus Christ as our light. For what does a lampstand do? It put forth light, and that light reveals God and that light drives away the darkness of sin. And we see when we get to the New Testament that Jesus Christ is presented as the true light. John chapter 1 and verse 9. He is also called the light of the world. John 8 and verse 12. You get the idea here. That's an example. Then by the presence of the table and the bread in the holy place, we're foretold beforehand, as it were, that Christ is our bread or Christ is our spiritual food and that he is our meat to feed upon. And if we go to the New Testament, we see that that's the case. Jesus declared in John 6, 48, I am the bread of life. This bread points to Christ. Jesus is that bread that came down from heaven so that everyone may eat of it and not die, John chapter 6 and verse 50. And of course, we see Christ in the symbols here in Hebrews 9, 2, and 3. And as we see Christ, I'm suggesting to you that we're not inserting Jesus Christ where he doesn't belong, but rather we're understanding that the New Testament shows us the fulfillment of all the things that the Old Testament instructions described. And so here, as we enter into the tabernacle or the earthly tent, we immediately see rich symbols pointing to Jesus Christ. Then the writer to the Hebrews leads us to the next section of God's earthly tent or the tabernacle, and he describes its furnishings as well. For he writes here, notice verses 3 and 4, Behind the second curtain was a second section called the Most Holy Place, having the golden altar of incense and the Ark of the Covenant covered on all sides with gold, in which was a golden urn holding the manna and Aaron's staff that budded and the tablets of the covenant. Above it were the cherubim of glory overshadowing the mercy seat. 
Of these things we cannot now speak in detail. And no doubt his purpose for mentioning this section of the tabernacle was to emphasize that God's very presence dwelt here, given that this section of the tent was separated from the rest by a thick curtain or veil. And behind this second curtain, as our text describes it, there were also items or furnishings of symbolic significance. There was, again, the golden altar of incense in which burning incense was laid. This incense, according to John Gill in his commentary, symbolized the future intercession of Christ as our high priest who ever lives to make intercession for his people. His intercessions would always be sweet and fragrant and effective on behalf of his people, Gill says. Then there is also the Ark of the Covenant, which is a symbol of God's presence and strength and of Christ's presence in particular. And then within that Ark, there are three items. Again, notice these, the, the urn holding the manna, which is a symbol of God's provision through Christ. Aaron's staff, which budded. And this staff was not only a symbol of the appearance of Christ as a lowly leader of his people, but also the leadership that Christ would provide. Then thirdly, there was included within the ark the tablets of the covenant, the Ten Commandments of Stone, Ten Commandments of God written on stone, which were a symbol of man's hard-heartedness, but also pointed to the change that Jesus Christ would make through the Spirit upon man's heart because of the powerful redemptive work of Jesus Christ. Again, there is so much here. It's more than just a simple blueprint and instructions. It has spiritual significance to it all. Then lastly, above the ark were the cherubim of glory overshadowing the mercy seat. And no doubt, the ministry of the cherubim, as you know, testified to the immediate presence of God and the glory of God as well. Their presence overshadowing the mercy seat called attention to the fact that God intends to be merciful to his people and especially through Christ to whom all this pointed to. In fact, we get a real sense from this text in Hebrews 9 that the writer to the Hebrews was much taken back and much in awe about all of the instruments and furnishings associated with the earthly tent. And it seems like he wanted to say more about how all of it related. And yet he writes here at the end of verse 5, of these things we cannot now speak in detail. For here the writer's purpose is to emphasize how the tabernacle and its furnishings and their symbolism hinted at Christ. But later in this same chapter, you'll see this later in this chapter, he emphasizes how Jesus Christ fulfilled these things through his ministry. And so there's a clear sense of the holiness and presence of God in this description of the tabernacle. That's the main point I want to make. Yet we see clearly, and we get a sense here also, that much is still hidden until a later time. You see that hinted at even in this chapter. 
a later time when the greater glory of Christ and his high priestly work will be revealed further in the book of Hebrews. So we have much to look forward to as we continue through Hebrews because that which he's hesitant to go into detail about now, he will be less hesitant to go into detail about later once he's laid the groundwork. And yet while so much was veiled, let us notice here in verses 6 and 7 that the writer of Hebrews emphasizes what did transpire, what did transpire when the high priest of God went beyond the first section where the regular priests performed their more routine duties and entered into the second section or the most holy place. For notice he writes here in verses 6 and 7 of Hebrews 9, these preparations having been made, since the worship and service of God required preparation, by the way, notice that, preparations had to be made. Since those preparations have been made, the priests go regularly into the first section of the tabernacle, performing their duties, but into the second section only the high priest of Israel goes, and he but once a year, and not without the taking of blood, which he offers for himself and the unintentional sins of the people. So under the old covenant or during the ministry of God's earthly tent, as it's called here, there were not only restrictions on how the priests could move about. Remember, the regular priests could not go into the most holy place, although they had duties within the holy place. There were restrictions on how to move about, but there was also the requirement that the high priest do certain things. And mentioned here is the requirement that he bring with him that which had been taken by force, the blood of animals, to atone for his sins and the sins of the people. And even what he did offer could not make him or the people perfect or completely take away their sins. Now, skipping ahead to Hebrews chapter 10 and verses 1 through 4, let me read the following. The writer says, Since the law has but a shadow of the good things to come instead of the true form of these realities, it can never by the same sacrifices that are continually offered every year make perfect those who draw near. Otherwise, they would not have ceased to be offered since the worshipers having once been cleansed would no longer have any consciousness of sins. But in these sacrifices, there was a reminder of sins every year for it is impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sin. Of course, in a very clear sense, these words that I just read from Hebrews 10, verses 1 through 4, summarize for us what was inadequate about the worship offered under the Old Covenant. It tells us what was insufficient and still unfulfilled about the ministry that the priests administered in the earthly tent that stood back then. And yet while there was an inadequacy and a sense of incompleteness about worship and ministry in the Old Covenant, nevertheless, as I said before, we are assured in our text 
that the Holy Spirit had a purpose for it. The Holy Spirit is communicating something through it. How do we know that? Because the writer tells us that just as plainly as he can here in verse 8. By this, the Holy Spirit is speaking. The Holy Spirit indicates that the way into the holy places is not yet opened as long as the first section is still standing, which is symbolic of the present age. Needless to say, these words are insightful because they assure us that the Spirit was at work in the Old Testament. Let's settle that matter real quickly. Sometimes people say, you see so little of the Holy Spirit in the Old Testament. No, the Spirit is at work in the Old Testament. Clearly, the Spirit is at work, and the Spirit is telling us what that work was. We see him at work, and a part of his work was to unfold what God is doing and to withhold from God's people a further understanding of what the earthly tent was all about until Christ could come until God had appointed to reveal it. Because one purpose of the old covenant was to lead people by the hand and to prepare them over time for the promised redeemer who was to come. And clearly the people who lived in the days of God's earthly tent were not ready. They were not fully prepared for the truth as it's found in Jesus Christ. They, they didn't have the grounding. They didn't have the awareness of things that you and I have, which allows us to understand today. God's people under the old covenant still needed to understand the depths of their own sin. They, they still needed to understand the depths of their own depravity. They needed to live years under the bondage of the law before they could accept their inability to fulfill it or to be justified by it. And of course, the way that worship and ministry operated under the old covenant and when within God's earthly tent not only reminded God's people of the way into the holy place and that that way was not yet opened, but that certain realities would continue to exist until the coming of a better priesthood and a better sanctuary, which we'll talk about next week. For as the writer states here at the end of verse 8, the fact that the tabernacle was still standing in the days or in the age of the old covenant was evidence that the people were not yet ready. So how long did the tabernacle stand? As long as it needed to stand to serve God's purposes. How long did the people of God need to be under old covenant ministry and worship? As long as God deemed necessary to prepare them for the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. In fact, the words of this verse, verse 9, indicate that the tabernacle served as a symbol for a time that was then present, but a time that would soon be passing. For as long as God's earthly tent stood, the inadequacy of its ministry would be felt. Do you hear that? As long as the earthly tent stood, the inadequacy of its ministry would be felt. And it would be felt in two ways. First, 
the people of God would not yet experience the full assurance that their sins were forgiven. As long as animal sacrifices were going on, there was never full assurance. The writer of Hebrews states in verse 9, according to this arrangement, in other words, the arrangement that existed under the old covenant, gifts and sacrifices offered could not perfect the conscience of the worshipers. Why? Because within the conscience of every worshiper under the old covenant, there was a nagging question. Is this enough? Is this enough? Will I ever gain God's acceptance through this gift or sacrifice? And you know what the answer was. No. It's never going to be enough. It's never going to be enough. It's not sufficient. The writer assures us here that this uncertainty was a characteristic of the ministry under the old covenant. When an animal was sacrificed, you knew that the next day an animal needed to be sacrificed. You knew that there was no assurance. And yet we know, as we saw in our exposition of Hebrews 8.12 some weeks ago, that a clear and settled conscience is one of the blessings of the new covenant. Since God declares under the new covenant, I will be merciful toward their iniquities. I will remember their sins no more. That's the assurance that belongs to you and belongs to me today. The earthly tent could not provide that assurance as long as it stood. Then secondly, the inadequacy of ministry under the old covenant was seen in the fact that its focus was primarily an external one. Its focus was primarily an external one. The writer to the Hebrews says here in Hebrews 9.10 that this arrangement dealt only with externals, not internals, not a change of heart, not a spiritual renewal. It dealt with outside things, external things, food and drinks and various washings, regulations for the body imposed until the time of reformation. It was not inwardly, internally focused, but it was external. For the kind of spiritual reformation that the people of God needed could not be provided by the old covenant, could not be provided by regulations and restrictions. And by the way, that same general principle applies today. The change of heart and mind that you and I need which can only be done by the Holy Spirit, cannot be achieved by us by simply regulating and restricting our behavior by doing certain things. No, it is a work that God does through the process of renewal and reformation. But for now, brethren, let us acknowledge the fact that the ministry under the old earthly tent was once needed. It was needed, severely needed, but it was not the way to find a clear conscience. It's not the way that the Holy Spirit of God leads today. Rather, the Holy Spirit of God is leading in an entirely different way. How? Well, that's what we're going to look at next, beginning next Lord's Day. Because we will see 
where the new covenant Savior not only makes the kind of sacrifice that the old covenant priests could never offer, but he also promises to lead his people, to feed his people in a manner that the old covenant never provided for. You say, why is all this necessary to know? Why go into all this detail in Hebrews chapter 9 about the first section, the second section, and the regular priests, and the high priests, and the furnishings, and what they mean? Why is that even necessary to show the intricate detail and attention that God gives to the matter of salvation? To show that God knows exactly what he's doing. To show why it took so long in the providence of God for things to unfold, for God to lay a groundwork to reveal his son. The really exciting thing, brethren, is that we live on this side of it all, as opposed to back on that side. Back under the old covenant economy and administration and ministry which was very difficult to suffer and to live under. We live under the new covenant ourselves. And we'll look as we go into further detail at the new covenant arrangement and promises and why it is so superior, why we have a superior shepherd, a superior high priest. And as we learn more about him, no doubt we'll desire to follow him all the more. So may we have this understanding of the old covenant earthly tent. Let us now long for something better. Amen. A better heavenly tent. It exists. Christ has entered into that tent. We've already been told that in the book of Hebrews. Now we'll find out what he does and why. How glorious it is and why we should long for that. Why we should picture that as we picture our lives let's not picture our lives as it was under the old covenant in the tabernacle as interesting as that study is but let us picture our lives in Jesus Christ as he enters into that better and and greater and heavenly tent for us may we trust in Christ's work in Christ's faithfulness and not our own for he who seeks Christ will find him to be entirely sufficient. Entirely sufficient. Let's pray. Our God and Father, we thank you for this section of Scripture. We thank you for what we've considered today. So much to consider, I realize. And we're conscious of the fact that it's taken us a little while to get through this chapter, which is laden with detail. But we thank you so much for it. We thank you that in your kindness and mercy you've revealed to us what's taking place here. And we would ask, Lord, that we would grasp it today. If we don't understand what we've heard today, that we would study it more, that we'd ask questions, that we would do whatever needs to be done to make sure that we understand this foundational material so that we can move on in our study during the week and in our preaching next week to talk about that greater and better and heavenly tent that Christ now occupies as our high priest. So bless us, encourage us, help us to see how wonderful things are unfolding for us 
And it's all because of the Lord Jesus Christ. May we love him more because of it. May he continue to bless us as a people, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen.